0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a
1: boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash.
0: Privyet bosses. Welcome to episode 122 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. Uh, This is Johnny. I'm out here in Eastern Ukraine Sam is also in East Europe in Lithuania. Lithuania. Find it on a map, buddy. Find it on a map. Well, I'll be finding you in person in just about two weeks. I'm excited to hang out again. (laughs)
1: I'll be so bored of Lithuania by that time. So it's good that you're just getting in. You know, it's funny, Johnny, we have to be a little careful what we say, because we have a a very big global audience now. And every time that we make an incorrect fact or assumption about a country, we always get someone from that country writing in. My favorite's actually the Bulgarian. We haven't heard from him in a while. (laughs) Well, I don't think we've talked trash about Bulgaria (laughs) in a while. (laughs) I love Bulgaria. Great country.
0: Yeah. I actually liked it as well too. Um, One of my favorite memories was that Eastern European trip we did together, what, two years ago now? When we started Mm -hmm. in Bulgaria and went by land through, where, where did we go from like, Romania,
1: Moldova, Ukraine No
0: no no yeah. Uh, Transylvania. Transylvania. yeah yeah, that was cool. That was that bossy. Was cool. That was my favorite that trip with cool. you ever I should know that yeah, Ireland that was awesome. Ireland was amazing as well.
1: Yeah, we've had some good ones yeah we had some good ones for sure. so but well, this one will be good. I'm looking forward to showing you Lithuania. I'm actually reco- squeezing in this episode right now. I'm out. I'm heading to the airport after this to go to a place called Minsk. You go to Belarus. The only way to get going to Belarus, spontaneous trip. The only way to get there uh, as an American is by plane. So it's crazy. We're uh, it's literally like a twelve minute flight from Vilnius to Minsk. But you can't take a bus or a train to enter. You have to you have to fly in, and then you get you get like a on arrival visa.
0: Yeah, I remember that because I wanted to meet you there, but I was going to go by train and. Yeah, Belarus just doesn't allow us to go in, except for we have to go in and out of the airport, which is ridiculous.
1: You know, it's not a huge place. Minsk is a city of about 3 million, so good size, but not massive. Lithuania as a whole is only 3 million people. Wow. That's what I heard. Don't fact check me, Lithuanians, but that's what I heard.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, like Lithuania is pretty small. I, I've been doing some research about it because I'm excited to go. I'm like, okay, you know, what's there to do in both. Um, What's the name of the, the capital that we're in? Venus? Vilnius. 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 And also Lithuania. And it sounds like it, it's nice, but it doesn't sound like there's that much to do.
1: Yeah, dude. It is it is so peaceful here. I mean, it's it's unspeakably blissful. It gets quiet at night. I'm in the old town. Think of like a traditional old town in Europe. I'm in an old town. Every t- night at 9 o'clock, it's quiet. Uh, the sun comes up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I go out, take a walk. There's everyone is super orderly, like, there's no drunken hen parties, stag parties, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it's, it's a really nice place, but I think it's a great place to be maybe like 50 or with a family, <laughs> not a great place to be well, it's funny in your 20s or 30s single, but yeah,
0: I, I've heard that uh, that wasn't the case five years ago where when they first started having cheap, uh, like Ryanair flights from like. In London to uh, Venice for like 20 like 20 dollars or like 10 like 10 pounds it it was the stag party central like everybody would go on the weekends for like one night or two nights and just get drunk and just make a make a fool of themselves and what happened was the bars got tired of it the locals got tired of it they started putting up signs saying like like no stag parties no groups no you know, like some some places are just like no foreigners and mm-hmm. people stopped going.
1: I think that Riga and Tallinn, two other capitals in the Baltics in Estonia and Latvia, I think they're still more like that. I think Vilnius is kind of the quiet of the three. But can I take you back to a 60 second story about Estonia? Have you ever been to Estonia, Johnny? No, I haven't. I went to Estonia about twelve years ago. No, maybe not. Ten about ten years ago. Ten years ago, Estonia was quite raw. And I went there for the exact same reason. I it was like a twenty dollar Ryanair flight from London. I'm like, what the hell's Estonia? The land of Shrek, or something. So, me and my buddy go. We get off the plane. This guy and I went to college together. You know, we're living in a fraternity house together. We get off the plane. We immediately go into an all can drink beer bar.
0: Oh, great. And,
1: <laughs> and long story short, we both woke up in a hostel completely pulverized, like beat up head to toe. Only thing was our faces were not touched. But like the backs of our heads, our bellies, my hand was broken. My shoulder was dislocated. This guy looked like he'd been kicked by a horse. And we kind of woke up and our eyes flutter open. And we're like, oh, what happened? And we're sitting there laying on the ground of a hostel, all just beat up. And all of our stuff was gone. Our wallets were gone. Our phones were gone. All of our money, everything. The only thing that I had left was a camera and a receipt. And the, the receipt was for six double gin and tonics, which I had never drank a gin and tonic at that point in my life, and it was <laughs> on my credit card, and, um, and a camera. So we went into the camera, I'll have to share some of these photos in the show notes, went into the camera, and the last photos. So there's a couple of photos of us having fun at the beer bar, the last photo is with my friend Joe and I, and these two massive dudes, they're probably six, seven, they got their fists up in the air, and they look like they're, you know, ex-Soviet heavyweight champions or something. That's it. Like, wow. That's that's all that we we know. And I've never properly blacked out in a night before. We both blacked out that night. He's never blacked out properly in a night. We both blacked out. So we we don't know if we we got drugged. I mean, I hate to be the one like, oh, I got drugged. But seriously, like, we don't remember anything. Wow. So. That's a st- that's my memory of Estonia. We didn't leave the hostel for 5 days until we could get a, a flight back to London cuz we were so scared. We are like what happened? Did we did we beat, you know, do we get in a fight? Is someone looking for us? Uh, so, <laughs> stayed in the hostel until we could get a flight then we That took- would suck. That sounds was That sounds so bad. It was horrible. It was a life-changing moment for us. He was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going back to the US and going to med school. He went to the uh, Caribbean, went to med school and um, you know, I I picked up my socks and got my shit together and finished building out Skysig.
0: You know what? Maybe <laughs> you, you need to find these two uh, big ex guys who beat you up or, and thank them for changing your life. We're going to do a road trip, man. Yeah. Or maybe these guys Holly. didn't beat you up. Maybe they got in a fight with someone else. You guys somehow jumped in. Actually, no. They, they probably beat you up.
1: Yeah. I, I Whoever was, was nice enough not to – like kick and punch us in the face, but they definitely kicked and punched us everywhere else and stole our shit. That's so strange. And, so what, it was like, and it was what like it was like a mafia with like with a little bit of of uh, sympathy.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe there's like some some rule where if your face is beat up, then it looks like they fucked you up and they would get in trouble. <laughs> but, but they didn't touch it, and you know they can just you can walk into the hostel and look like you're fine.
1: Yeah. I I like to think of what happened is we were getting beat up and I jumped up, tagged one of them, Mm. broke my hand, grabbed Mm. my body. We ran back to the Mm. hostel and I saved the day.
0: Wow. That's the story. Wow. You know what? There's a greater than zero chance that happened.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One for the books. We'll never know. We'll never know.
0: But what's nice is that we're able to have these experiences kind of as – more mature adults now, you know, still go to a lot of these these countries that are less explored, especially for Americans. I mean, how many Americans do you know who have been anywhere in Eastern Europe?
1: Not many, and I'll, uh, and and Belarus, where I'm going today, I would say close to zero.
0: Yeah, well, Belarus has been a very closed off country until recently. I remember, I think it was just last year they they opened up a, um, a visa free policy for Americans, but it was only for five days, and I think they they test. It was probably just a test. Like, okay, let's let's see what happens. We, we give these guys five days. And then they were like, okay, that's a bit ridiculous. Let's bump it up to 30.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and also this is sort of the first time in history that you could really experience anything like this where you can go live in a foreign country, live off passive income, have access to cash and capital to survive. And if you want to choose to work, which both you and I are doing while we're over here. But I was thinking about this the other day. Like even if you went back 500 years ago and you were a super, super wealthy person and you were living in Spain, you wanted to go to Lithuania for the summer. I mean, you would have to figure out a way to carry tons of gold and product with you. You couldn't just go there and get access to your cash out of an ATM, right? So even if you're a super wealthy person, it was much more challenging to do anything or experience anything like this. Just because of the access of of capital and, and trade, so it is really kind of a unique time in, in history to be able to have experiences like this. Uh, and if you you know if you can make it so that you can take time off of work, or even better, that you can work abroad and, and have this type of experience, definitely encourage it.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely a hundred percent. And the fact that we're able to fly, you know, basically to anywhere on Earth in less than twenty four hours. You know, at least to any major city in less than a day, it's it's crazy, and and usually for about a thousand dollars. You know, you can go you can go basically anywhere in the world in less than twenty four hours for less than a thousand bucks. You know, on a economy one way ticket.
1: Yeah, my flight to Minsk is thirty seven dollars.
0: Yeah, I think my <laughs> flight to it's, it's twelve minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Actually, it's, what's funny is my flight to you is even less than that. <laughs> oh, that's insane. Yeah, but um, one thing I wanted to say was it's. I think it's 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 amazing for us to be able to do this especially taking advantage of location arbitrage. So the, one of the reasons why life is so cheap and the reason why we're able to to travel uh and experience so much is because it is so expensive just to be in the US and just to pay rent and you know go out to eat and just have like a normal life in the US that it's actually cheaper for us to experience new countries, new cultures, new food eat out at restaurants you know every single day instead of cooking and be able to enjoy you know uh, European summers for like less
1: money than we would spend just being back in the US you know and I'm I'm spending a lot less money here because there's a lot more things I enjoy doing that are free so for instance there's four amazing parks within walking distance I start every morning walking to the park I end every day walking to the park uh, they have these bike rentals we can get a month pass for three dollars. And you just go put your ticket up there. You get the bike out of the machine. So I'm riding bikes every day. Whereas in the U.S., I was doing a lot more spending. I was going to Top Golf. I was going to expensive bars. I was going to you know just generally expensive venues. And so my my costs have come down about at least fifty percent since I've been over here. And I, and my state of mind is is much healthier as well, much, much more peaceful, much more blissful. So it is cool. And we know a ton of people doing this. I got friends right now in Ukraine, or you're in Ukraine. I got friends in Ukraine, Bulgaria, Bali, you know, places like this. And quality of life is great. They're able to make money uh, from their their Western sources and live in a place that's you know a third or sometimes a quarter of the price and have a great quality of life so it's 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 pretty awesome and it's like i said before it's a unique time in history to be able to do anything like this
0: yeah definitely 100% and especially if you can continue earning you know a, a wage or salary or or you know just income from the US or an expensive country whether it's australia canada mm-hmm. or in western europe and to base yourselves or live your you know to live in cheaper places like thailand or in eastern europe you know like just just to have an idea how much are you how much how much do you spend back in the US back in Florida for like rent and then for transportation for food kind of you know like what are your monthly costs
1: my monthly cost when i've been in florida is averaging around 10 to 12000 a month
0: wow um, okay and yeah, yeah. can you it break goes that up down significantly yeah like like what do you pay for rent
1: rent is two just over 2000 so like 2200 okay and, and what's that for is that like a <laughs> Nice one-bedroom place in us in a high-rise. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, all in electricity, cable, all that stuff. Okay. Uh, my car is expensive. My car is almost two thousand a month because wow. it's thirteen hundred flat out for the car. Then insurance is almost three hundred. Gas, parking, and then I always get parking tickets uh, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. No, and
0: people forget about that. They don't think about like speeding tickets, parking tickets you know, uh, insurance,
1: gas, when you factor all that in, things really add up. Yeah. And then I'll tell you what's expensive in the U S too is, is getting around flying. So if I, if I do one trip a month, say up to New York or Texas or something, that plane ticket nowadays, unless you're flying spirit or, or frontier, which I typically don't do round trip, you're, you're talking six, $700 to get pretty much anywhere in the U S. Um, and then a couple, you know, pop for a few nights at a hotel where you're at, that's an easily uh, uh, over a, a $1,200 trip for for a few days. So yeah, and then I think just general living costs, you know, food, everything's more expensive. I, I drink a lot nicer wine. Like I said, I, I do more entertainment, top golf, things of this nature, little weekend trips here and there. So I I've, I keep an idea of a breakdown of my costs every single month for the last four or five years and my typical costs in the U.S. are kind of ten to twelve. When I'm in Southeast Asia, it's usually like six to seven. If I'm stationary in Thailand, it's usually like four or four and a half. And this month's probably going to be around five, but it, it'll be a really cool five because I'll be in this country <laughs> and then we'll go. You know, I'm I'm going to Minsk, which isn't an expensive trip at all. Then I'm going up to Latvia, Riga, which isn't an expensive trip at all. So get to see a lot and explore a lot. I'm a, basically uh, what I would consider almost a shoestring budget,
0: yeah, so I mean I mean either way, like what you know regardless of how much your your base spend is, you're spending half or less than half of what you would spend for just a normal life back home, and you get experience two different countries you get experience you know all this unique culture and food and then have mm-hmm. and, and have it literally expenses be less than half. Uh, and it's the same for me, uh, but my, my base expenses are much lower. So when I was living in California, and I think it's been like 10 years now. So I'm sure prices have gone up a lot, but I was spending $1,300 for a studio apartment, you know, a 10, 20 minute drive away from like the, the downtown or kind of like where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Now that same studio would probably be about two grand, you know, if you want to live in like a decent area in Southern California. And here, I'm staying literally like a like across the street from like the center center. Like I walk outside and I am in uh, I'm across the street from like the main monument, the main meeting point, all the coffee shops, all the restaurants, all the cafes. Like mm-hmm. I walk by and I and I point to people where I live and they're like, "What? You live there?" Like it's almost like saying like I live like, you know, Midtown Manhattan like right across mm-hmm. the street from um from central park you know or like one of these units that like you people walk by and they're like wow that'd be cool you know i wonder who lives there and i'm living here for 500 bucks a month <laughs> and that's there's no contract because airbnb all utilities included and internet's included you know and furniture is included because i think one thing people leave out is you know you're spending over two grand a month for rent but that's for an unfurnished apartment with a one-year contract
1: I, and I Yeah. I had to spend almost $10,000 to furnish it. And that's like not going overboard. That's like a Kia. But you can go sp- drop $1,000 at Bed Bath & Beyond pretty quick these days.
0: Yeah. And you have a one-year contract. you know, So yeah. you're locked in. You're paying for it even if when you're not there. And then in Sam's case, when you
1: break it after three months, <laughs> you have you have all these penalties. <laughs> that's the mistake I made too. Cause, well, I'm feeling it now while I'm over here because it, it sucks paying... Let's say I have five grand in fixed costs back in the U.S. right now. It sucks being over here renting and paying for a lifestyle over here and also having to pay for it there. So what I decided for next year, I still want to keep a base in the U.S. I'm going to get a two-bedroom place with a friend in Charlotte. That's It'll cost me $1,000 all in. I'm going to get rid of my car, and when I'm back, I'll just rent a car or I'll Uber. So I literally take my fixed costs from five grand down to one grand. And then when I go do things like this, I don't sweat about it. It's just like Whatever. But now I feel like I need to get back to get some of that value because I, I don't want to have a double lifestyle and double the expenses.
0: Yeah, it's it's so crazy that like when you're there, it doesn't seem like a big deal because that's what everyone else pays. But as soon mm-hmm. as you're you know you've escaped the the, the high cost and you're like thinking like this is insane. I mean, for example, like for me, I keep my cell phone number in the U.S. just just to keep it, and, and there's really no reason now. Uh, to keep it anymore because everyone uses WhatsApp or iMessage anyways. But it just it's convenient for when I get every time I get back to the US, I just put my SIM card in and it works right away. I I don't have to go to a store. I don't have to you know apply for new new SIM card. So and the way to keep my number is I have to pay a hundred bucks. I have to top it up by hundred bucks a year. And in the US, it's not that big of a deal because you know that's two months of that's two months of um, of data. But here in Ukraine. I'm literally spending $4 a month prepaid, but I get 10 gigs, unlimited calling, 4G. And I'm thinking, and it, if I kept it year-round, that would only be 44 bucks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Johnny, I'm actually scared to have you come to Lithuania and start blogging about Vilnius. All my cafes are going to fill up. There's going to be signs for no tourists around. You're going to make the place too popular. I shouldn't have even mentioned I was yeah. here.
0: Well, I'm going to be there. I'm, 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 going, to, I'm going to bring some nomads there. But you know what? Honestly, I think a lot of people listen, you know, like they listen and they dream about this and they don't make the move, you know, at least for a few years. You know, like I've been talking about Ukraine for three years now and very few people will come here. You know, people are still scared to come. They're worried about the language barrier. They're, you know, it's too far, right? they're just like, ah, you know, yeah. it's, it's easier just to go to, to Spain or something.
1: They're at war with Russia. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean technically, <laughs>
0: but you know it doesn't affect my life at all here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's cheaper. So an Uber. I remember an Uber from LAX to re- to anywhere in LA is forty five or fifty five dollars to Orange County, where my like my cousin lives, and there's no other way to get there because there's no pr- public transportation. There's no metro. There's no subway. It's eighty bucks to take. An airport taxi mm-hmm. here I could take an Uber for a dollar and 80 cents anywhere
1: yeah like, man it's, even from it, the
0: airport it's, it's like it's you know, yeah maybe it's three bucks but like from the airport it's three dollars from anywhere else in the city it's a dollar and 80 cents for an Uber it's mm-hmm. insane
1: it's it's proper arbitrage there's a group of Canadian guys that they're there they're developers and they're saying it's perfect like if you're a Canadian developer you can make Canadian wage and live in Ukraine it's like the best of both worlds whereas all the good developers that are in Ukraine and there's a lot of them they're all trying to get out of Ukraine because it's it's they're trying to go to Canada it's like the opposite because it's more stable they're worried about what you know the money that they make in Ukraine keeping it in the banks there and they're just worried about general opportunity and and instability but if but if you're in the other person's shoes and you have the ability it can be doubly good
0: yeah I mean if they were smart what they would do is they would just work for a U.S. company or freelance for like a European company make Mm -hmm. you know 1200 a month Which isn't very hard to do. Like even if your English isn't perfect, you know, as long as you speak some English. Yeah. And spend you know five hundred max, and you know, and save seven hundred bucks a month. Because even if they just put it into a savings account here, they pay eighteen percent interest.
1: And (laughs) and I know it's not you know it's not stable, but like eighteen percent interest is insane. It would be good. It would be cool to have an account with like ten grand in it just to see your your monthly. Distributions of interest into your account. I, I'm seriously thinking about
0: putting five grand in, just as a, as like a a, a summer spending ca- like money, like just leaving it there year round and mm-hmm. just just like using that money to go out every like every summer when I'm here. Because if we have more than ten grand in account, we have to report it, which which is mm-hmm. um which would be annoying. That, but yeah. five grand, it'll, it'll it'll never
1: hit that limit. Yeah. So Johnny, I think what a lot of people would like to hear, especially new listeners maybe listen to the first episode ever, is we're doing this stuff. It all sounds cool, but how are we affording to do it? Because neither you or I have collected a proper p- paycheck in I don't know how long. It's been a long time for me. It's been a very long time for me. And I know you have sources of income, but you're not collecting a paycheck either. Yep. So I think what would be interesting is maybe first to go over how you've invested to or even – Go into some of your revenue streams that allow it to afford you to live this lifestyle in a more passive way. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think this was this has been perfect
0: because first, I think you know we had t- we had touched on the benefits of being able to live location independently and take advantage of location arbitrage, enjoy life. Um, the second part that we've already talked about is how much lower it is, how much like lower the base expenses are. Because if we wanted to live off a of passive income in the U.S., we would need to, you know, I would need to make minimum of let's say five grand a month just to cover the base expenses for you you'd have to have a minimum of 12,000 a month just to cover the base expenses while mm. now we're able to not only cover our expenses but have extra money left over to be able to invest and keep growing the the, the pie so mm. you know for me I, I took a look at how much do I actually need to make and then how much do I have to have invested uh, to be able to make that amount and for me on average, I spend a thousand five hundred dollars a month. And just for myself. That's not including, you know, any money I give to like my parents or any charities or anything, but just fifteen hundred bucks you know, fifteen hundred bucks a month covers my rent, my food, you know, my base travel, and anything on top of that, it goes back to investments or you know, discretionary spending. So I'm very, very happy to say that my dividends and interest from my my investments, which is mainly things like uh, Vanguard index funds, uh, interest I collect from Pure Street on, on these loans, uh, the notes uh, that we have through like PPR. So not including the, the potential growth of the index funds itself, which normally grow about 7% a year, just the dividends and interest, I'm now making exactly
1: 1500 bucks a month.
0: And off Vanguard or
1: uh, No, no. In, in, in total. Okay. Okay. In total. total. So then, how are you? How do you come up with the other money to survive? Uh, so, what's nice is that's kind of
0: the, that that covers everything. Uh, my my base expenses. I also have about fifteen hundred bucks a month, or maybe uh, maybe a bit more, a couple a couple grand a month in passive income from my other sources. So I have my YouTube channel. Uh, I have my blog. I have my my two books that I have on on Amazon. I have you know, uh, my courses, I have kind of some random things that I used to make a lot more from when I, when I focused on it, but now that it's not really my, my full-time, um, Mm -hmm. job, it still makes a couple grand a month, maybe two, three grand a month max. Um, but that all goes back into more investments. So my goal Mm -hmm. is to take whatever extra money I have and buy more investments to kind of grow that, that base amount that I don't have to work for.
1: So you, so the 1500 a month is, purely passive and then the the other couple grand is semi semi passive right it's it's yeah it's not eight hours a day
0: yeah i would say the easiest way to to describe it would be um instead of calling everything passive income which it all kind of technically is uh i would say the 1500 bucks is investment income uh that's from and you know like literally like interest that i collect from pure street you know i'm collecting you know eight to nine percent uh interest on on the you know However, I think I have seventy grand in there now um, from the dividends that are paid every quarter through Vanguard, through the uh, the dividends I get from Yield Street, from the the uh, that was it the legal legal settlement uh, cases, um, the interest I get from PPR Note uh, AHP Fund AHP Servicing, and then also from Marcus, my my high high interest uh, savings account that pays two point two five percent. So aside from the investment income, which is 100% passive, that's, you know, money. That's literally just the interest earned from all, all the, all the sources I had just mentioned. I also have semi passive income, which is more kind of like online income. I, I would call it location independent income that happens to be semi passive and, and not truly, truly passive. So for example, like my, my book sales. I wrote those books, you know, three and five years ago, uh, so I'm not rewriting the books every month. But I still have to talk about it, you know, once in a while, like when I talk about, you know, twelve weeks in Thailand, or life changes quick on a podcast or on my blog. That's when more sales come in. So it's semi passive, but it's not completely passive. Um, same as my, like my affiliate income through like my YouTube channel or my blogs. Uh, I think those are things that if I never, you know, wrote another blog article and never made another. YouTube video that would dry up uh, after a few months. So right now it's kind of work, but it's things I really enjoy doing. It's things I would enjoy, I would do yeah. for free. And so I think that's the definition to me of being retired is not, you know, financially free, financially independent. It's not never working again, but it's only doing things that you enjoy doing and that just happens to to pay you money anyways. Yeah,
1: I think that's beautifully said. Similar my kind of definition when I started looking at this stuff three or four years previously and I was trying to figure out what's a financial dream. What is that? What is the actual goal? And I think most people will say something along the lines of generating enough passive income to do exactly what what you're saying, Johnny, to be able to live the lifestyle you want and to be able to spend time working on things that you want to do. I think you got to add just another element to that, which is if you think about it from a high level, if you just generate enough passive income to support your life, it doesn't give you enough opportunity to do some really incredible things. You might want to, you know, you might want to take a really exotic trip that costs thirty, forty thousand $40,000 one day. You might want to buy a luxury car. You might want to make a really incredible investment in a startup. There's a lot of things that you need extra. You need a surplus to be able to work with if you really want to live the the life and and you know, build the dream, I would say. So kind of how I define it is to have to generate enough passive income to support your lifestyle while also investing enough of your assets in things that can gain and appreciate. So if you just say put all of your money into PPR note or Peer Street, you can make a very solid 7 to 10%, but that asset that the principal will never actually Mm. appreciate, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So what I like to do is try to invest enough into those type of passive investments to guarantee that I'm going to have enough to care to cover myself, ups and downs, I can, I'll be able to, to get by. But then I have enough of my, my capital in investments that I can appreciate, i.e. property, i.e. Uh, you know, stock bond indexes and, all, and, and, and startups as well. Things that kind of have, give you a little bit of a lottery ticket, if you will, to hold on to. Yeah. So right now I have about 60% of my investments in things that are purely passive and have no chance of appreciating, but they cover my lifestyle. And then I have about 40% of my investments in things that can appreciate in capital. So hopefully when you turn around twi- twice, five years down the road, while you're, I'm getting by on my passive income, that's just kind of money in, money out. I will look around in five years and my gr- my net wealth will have grown Passively as well. I like that,
0: and I think it's th- this is super cool, and it's a nice way of thinking of it because I think a lot of people in the FIRE community, the financial independent retire early community, are just thinking about having, you know, let's say just index funds. I, th- I think that's kind of what they do is just have low cost index funds, and then withdrawing four percent a year, which means literally selling. You know, 4% uh, per year. And that dwindles down how much, how much you, you know, you have total. Yeah. And, f- and I think the system that we follow where we've, I don't know, I, I don't know if we've kind of just stumbled upon it or if we kind of made it up as we've run along, but it's this hybrid system where we, ha- we live off of the interest, um, investments or the, the dividend investments. And then we have our, uh, growth um, investments kind of carry us into the future.
1: Yeah. And I think you're the perfect example, Johnny, because you're, if you look on a percentage gain basis since we started this podcast, you're way up for me. You've basically grown three times. So, for any listeners not aware, when we started this podcast, Johnny's net wealth was at $250,000. Mm-hmm. he has been doing the same thing since we started the podcast, living abroad, traveling. Getting by off his passive income, reinvesting money that he's made from those passive investments uh, and passive income back into more investments, and since then he has tripled his wealth.
0: Yeah, it's, and, it's, I, and I have
1: not. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, I, I had a little catch up to to do. So,
0: <laughs> I think honestly, if I was at your point, I would honestly, I probably wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't worry or stress about growing that income. I would just kind of think I would just I would honestly just invest in. It and be like, all right, this is how much I have to live off of um, for the rest of my life if I if I don't go crazy with it. And I think it's easy for me to say now because I'm not in that position. Because I I think every single person, no matter how much money you have, hates seeing that number go down. But I would like to think that if I ever got to your level, I would just say, all right, I'm I'm okay. I'm done trying to grow it. I'm okay with just
1: having it slowly dwindle as long as it lasts me the rest of my life. That is a really, really uncomfortable situation because I think you kind of equate your wealth to your own personal stock. And even though you know in your mind mathematically that you could spend it down and be comfortable for the rest of your life, you know, people, you want to be relevant in this world. You want to be thought of as influential and, and at your peak, right? I mean, we're both in our mid thirties. We've accomplished various things. We like to be thought of in our peak, and when we're spending down our wealth, it feels like we're deteriorating. That's how I. That's how it feels to me. It's really uncomfortable, and I try to avoid it at all costs. And I'm in a situation right now where my startup investing has gotten become a lot larger of a percentage of my portfolio than I ever originally intended it to be. And I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm sweating because I've allocated a percentage to be invested in in angel investments. And I don't have any cash left. So if I need to, if I need to, to get cash, additional cash for those investments, or just to live off of, I have to start selling assets uh, that I that I it, that are safe and generating income. So that is uncomfortable for me. It's not a position that I've been in yet uh, mm. since the exit. So I'll, I'll let you know how it feels. Yeah, it's a it's a,
0: it's a weird feeling because like I, I it's it's a good position to be in, but at the same time I I. I think that if someone hasn't been in that position, it's hard for them to empathize because if someone right now is like, all oh, right, you know, if I had even a million dollars, I'd be okay with, you know, just letting it dwindle down. Like, no, you wouldn't because you would no longer be a millionaire. <laughs> like you would only want it to, to, you know, to continue growing. So I think that's why for me, as soon as like my goal is to, to hit a million dollars, but I know that if I hit a, you know, when I hit a million dollars, I'll celebrate. With like a, a $50 meal and then be like, all right, like I can't spend, you know, now I only <laughs> $50 have, meal. yeah, like now I only have, you know, uh, and nine, you know, $9,550 or something, whatever it is, $950. Mm. So I'm no, I'm no longer a millionaire. I have to, I have to get that number back up.
1: Yeah. And also you put a little bit more pressure and expectation on yourself at that level because you know that you'll be able, if you stick to the plan, you'll be able to grow your wealth at a much faster rate. So if you're not growing your, your wealth at a faster rate or you, or worse, you're you're spending it down, it's going to feel worse because it's it's an opportunity lost in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. So
0: one of the, the concepts that people talk about in the FIRE community is you have FIRE, you have FAT FIRE, and you have LEAN FIRE. Have you heard of these terms?
1: Not really, no.
0: So basically, it, it's exactly kind of the, the way it sounds, but basically LEAN FIRE is... To be able to live off of forty K a year. Because, you know, in the US, if you can earn forty grand a year in you know, at your job or through passive income or your investments, you can live. It's not a great life, you know, but it's like someone having a like a like a lower level okay job. You know, you can have Mm -hmm. you can live in an apartment, you can live, you know, you can go out like to Fast food or Denny's or something, but you can't
1: really ball out, right? You can't really travel. Yeah.
0: But you can, you, you can, you're okay. But to you yeah, get to the that, last yeah. paycheck
1: I was making in the US was $3,800 a month. So that's basically for 40 grand.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, okay. but, uh, to do the math to to get to forty k a year, you basically need to have a million dollars because that's four percent. You know that's the four percent drawdown, or you know in the best case scenario, four percent you're you're earning on like interest and not not drawing down. To get to fat fire, which is kind of the 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 high point, is you want to have a hundred grand a year because you know uh, even in the U S. if you make a hundred grand a year, as long as you're not in like New York and you know balling out or somewhere super expensive, it, in general, if you make a hundred grand a year, you can live a pretty good life. But the mm-hmm. the four percent rule for that the the drawdown or the interest is two point five million, so that's kind of the the level where I would like to get to, so I can and I can have both. I can not watch my money dwindle down, but I can still enjoy a very good lifestyle.
1: Yeah. And a cool thing too is by the time you get to that point, you'll have acquired so much knowledge and investing skills just through what we've been doing the last two or three years mm-hmm. that you'll get there and you'll have a lot more you'll just do a much better job than the typical person that gets there and has never d- dived into investing or learned how to manage their own money. That can be a really scary thing because you can make a lot of mistakes and blow a lot of money quick and it's going it to set you back for a decade, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. And I mean, it's good that you, you know, you navigated pretty well, that you didn't, um, you know, Blow, blow all of it because I I know during the podcast you've mentioned a few mistakes that you've made when you first had the big windfall mm-hmm. but it's um yeah it's it, it's been it's been a, almost kind of a, a blessing that that we found each other we
1: started this podcast together what now what three years ago yeah yeah and and to be honest it, you could you could make a lot more mistakes I mean I've made a, a a lot but I haven't gotten hurt too bad but when we started the podcast I was like I was in two investments. I was I had money with a UBS manager, a Morgan Stanley manager, and I had uh, I had a couple properties in Thailand. That was it. And and you know you you could argue about how safe all those are, right? I also had money cash in a bank. But if if you were just trying to figure it out quick, um, you could make a lot of mistakes, and you could you could lose a lot of that money. And I think the cool thing with how we've taken this approach, week in week out. With the podcast is we've we've taken the time to study a new asset class and learn about it, and then slowly deploy, kind of deployed capital together. After we've both said, okay, PPR note, yep, looks good, I like it, you like it. Let's ask some of our listeners, let's have them on the podcast, let's talk to them, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've I think we've put in our uh, even though we don't necessarily dive into paperwork and do a full due diligence of things, mm-hmm. we have kind of gotten due diligence done through the through the crowd in a sense. And I think we've we've made a lot of good decisions and made a lot of good investments through that methodology.
0: yeah, I definitely agree and we're also so diversified that even if one thing happened to be you know not a great great decision or the you know economy turns and uh, mm-hmm. you know something goes goes down,
1: we are so diversified that it doesn't really matter like it doesn't matter that it's not gonna hurt us that much. yeah, I have my asset allocation pie chart in front of me. I'll share Ooh. this in the notes so I'm at nineteen percent stocks equity funds. Uh, I'm at 14% annuities. Actually, that's just ticked up a little bit. It's probably closer to 17%. Uh, I'm at 19% physical property. So that would be actually condos, land, industrial stuff that I own. Mm-hmm. I am in 14% REITs or paper property funds of such. Um, I think I have... No, I don't have Peer Street and that. I have Peer Street and peer-to-peer. Then I have 5% municipal bond funds. I have now 10% in private investments so that would be almost all my angel portfolio i have um well my cash is now down a lot so i've mm. almost zero in cash right now which wow. i've never had less than 10% that is not fun uh not fun at all it's almost like yeah i feel like i'm playing a game of monopoly right now and you know like You're looking at your Monopoly stack and Mm. all you got left is $20 bills. And you're looking at the board thinking which properties you're going to have to mortgage. Yeah. (laughs) Or like which houses or
0: hotels you have to sell.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not a fun position. And then uh, 2% peer-to-peer lending. I have kind of 5% in alternatives outside of that, which uh, so far I've I've been very happy with all the alternative investments that we've made. And then uh, just a couple percent between kind of crypto and Gold and metals. so pretty well diversified. I'm pretty happy with all that, except for the current cast position and the current private investment position. I think has gotten unbalanced, but other than that, I you know generally very happy with where we've gotten. So, uh, one one question I have for you
0: is, the 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 like let's say the fixed income that that you're getting per month now is that enough to cover your expenses when you're living in like Florida? Like, do you have twelve grand a month in let's say interest payments or like the annuity payments?
1: covering that yeah so it the answer is yes however it's very difficult to see because there's so many revenue sources that I don't have immediate visibility on Mm -hmm. for instance the annuities I get a statement at the end of every year that says your account balance has increased X but I don't actually have access to that annuity like a bank statement I can log in and see it Mm. and that's true with a lot of things like I have a property in in Phuket that I get a paycheck at the end of every single year, but mm. I don't. Otherwise, I don't have visibility. A lot, a lot of my investments are like that. So let's take a quick look. So, actually, fixed income investments that I have, I'll read them off real quick. Okay. So Lending Club is like basically zero, <laughs> <laughs> but I have it up there anyways. Peer mm. Street's kind of seven percent annually. Mm-hmm. Um, Art of FX I don't count as fixed income, even though that does seem to chug along in a positive direction. Yield Street. Uh, close to 10%. These are all annual numbers. Uh, Vanguard, 3% annual. Wealthfront, 2.5%. UBS, uh, 2.5%. E-Trade, that's my municipal bonds, 5%. Uh, REITs, two different REITs in Singapore, about 6%. Fundrise, around 7%. Street again, uh, that's a different fund I have with them, is 9%. PPR note, 10%. APR servicing, 10%. Then I have a bunch of properties that kind of range from like zero to seven percent. Mm-hmm. Annuities are three and a half percent. Then there's uh, Marcus, kind of two point one percent, and then I go into a bunch of investments that don't yield anything, like private investments. So, so I, that does pay for. Yeah, I can. I'm generating over two hundred thousand a year off those investments. Mm-hmm. So, fifteen or so. But you got to remember, a lot of that, those are taxed pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. So it's it's close. Like okay. if my costs in the U.S. are kind of twelve, thirteen, it's after taxes, it's pretty close. And then there's not a whole lot left if I want to make new investments or go on nice trips or things like that.
0: Yeah, I to that. So I, I guess well, one question is: Are those being uh, reinvested automatically, or are you, are you actually getting a check, like you know, once a year or once a quarter or even monthly?
1: It again, it's like it's it ranges. So I have a lot in Vanguard right now mm-hmm. where I'm getting. Dividends, but why again? It's hard to actually see. Like, I know I'm getting more than my living cost a month uh, in in dividends, but for instance, Vanguard, you can look in there at any given point, and it, it, the the total balance could be up or down ten percent. So yes. you don't really see it. But the answer to your question is that most of these I have set up so it just distributes cash versus reinvesting. Um, Vanguard's an exception. Some of like the E Trade stuff is an exception. But yeah, most of it, I just let the cash pile up, and then I decide what to do with that cash—whether take it out and reinvest it in one investment, or maybe make a new angel investment, which I'm not doing anymore of right now, or buy a new condo. So instead of having all the investments appreciate and reinvest in themselves, I kind of let the cash pile up and then decide what to do with it.
0: Okay, uh, kind of, kind of makes sense. Um, I would, I would, I would think that for some things like. Like Vanguard, for example, like it would just almost doesn't make sense for us to cash out on the dividends uh, per month unless we really needed to spend it. It just makes more sense to have that automatically
1: get get reinvested. You know, I think for sure it does, for especially with Vanguard and especially, yeah. I mean, look at your Vanguard account compared to mine. Yours has grown a lot faster mm-hmm. over the last three years, and it's because you've taken that strategy and also because you've made regular investments. Where I just put in a lump sum mm-hmm. and have. You know, I've invested it differently, but I think for sure, an account like Vanguard. If you're starting a Vanguard account or any index funds, you need to be looking at it with a 20-year time horizon, and you should just reinvest everything back into it and set it, forget it, and and turn around in 10 years and look at it. Well, one reason
0: why I've been able to grow my Vanguard account so quickly is every month I put three grand into Vanguard, no matter what, and. Mm-hmm. Then if I have, you know, if I come into some extra money, I'll, I'll put it uh, back in there again. Or if I like the market dips, I'll, I'll buy more kind of when it's on sale. But you can absolutely do that as well, because especially on the, on the months that you're not spending, you know, the full 12 grand, you're living, you know, in Eastern Europe or in Thailand somewhere cheaper. You can easily take five grand and
1: buy more, more Vanguard funds during those months, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, what what's your strategy right, with how you reinvest in your investments and how do you how do you make sure you, you always have enough cash coming in each month to pay for your living expenses?
0: Well, the nice thing is even though I have 1500 bucks a month coming in, you know, in just fixed income through like interest and and dividends, I actually reinvest all of it. And then the money I actually live off of is the kind of semi-passive active income that 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 i make so even though i I know in the beginning of the episode i talked i had you know talked about it in reverse because that's kind of the the mindset that that i want to have is to be able to live off of the the fixed income if i wanted to Um, in reality i'm actually not spending that money i'm reinvesting it and i'm only spending the cash that I'm, i'm physically getting um
1: you know every month and do you see all of the cash that you're accumulating each month, or is it does it seem hidden? Because every time we look at our net, like we see that we're up, but it doesn't feel like we're up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, every quarter when I when I log in, that that's when I see things really go up. You know, I yeah. would say in my bank account, I actually try not to have that, too much money hit my bank account because it just sits there for no reason. Mm-hmm. Now that I have. Um, marcus making 2.25 percent i actually don't mind having cash in there so i have about 50 grand in there which is mainly for you know emergency uh living um, for any opportunities and things like that but before you know when i when i just had my money in like a b of a or a chase account making literally zero percent i hated mm. seeing cash in there but now i i really don't mind it i, I really think 2.25 percent isn't that bad to have you know 50 grand or even 100 grand in there
1: yeah, that's no, cool. And a lot of these other alternative investments have started allowing your cash to sit in there and accumulate uh, or, to, or to gain interest. I know Street just did this. I think that was a really smart move because mm-hmm. I, I have probably 20000 in cash in Street that I absolutely would have pulled out uh, before redeploying. But because it's making 2.25% and they have a nice chart in there showing the interest deposits going in, I'm like, I'll just keep it in there. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I love Real Street, especially the um the, the pre was it the pre legal settlement cases. Um, mm-hmm. that pays good. 13%. I love it. And I, I want Those to get into good. more,
1: but they're there's they're still always closed. Like they're still hard hard to get into. It is, and it's 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 a lot to redeploy the capital, man. That's yeah. why it's taken us so long to build up this portfolio. I mean, really, think about it. This has been I you're starting to get a lot of investments right? I have a lot of investment. How many do you have? Like you probably have close to 20 now. I have 25. Holy crap. Look how quick that built up. That was like from four when we started or less. Yeah. And, and now it's great. Like we both like our profile, portfolios, both happy with the investments overall, but that was not easy work. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to deploy into all this capital into 25 investments. That takes, I don't think you could do it sensibly and quicker than a year's time. Uh, and in my case, it's, you know, in both of our cases, it's been over the course of two and a half years. And when one of those funds dr- is is wound up, and which happens pretty regularly, like we have to figure out a way to redeploy that into a new investment. And sometimes that takes time. And yeah. we, we just started loving these investments for the most part. So getting comfortable with them is a big part of it.
0: Yeah. And you know, what? one funny thing that no one ever mentions is that that lag time those you know 2 or 3 months in between even like investing in something and it starting to make money so when we're counting you know how much it makes annually like let's say it makes 8% mm-hmm. annually if it takes 3 months for that money to start making money it's actually much lower
1: that's a very good point that's a very good point that just happened with these property funds that I went into where I you know, invested a considerable amount of money into these and it's like oh it makes it pays out an 8% preferred but then all of a sudden, after the first quarter, you get a check back for less than 1% annualized. And you're like, what the hell happened? They're like, oh, it's got to – we have to deploy the capital. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll wait for next quarter. Yeah. And the
0: thing is you know, with like Marcus, it's it's 2.25% only. But you start making that from like the minute that
1: you, that, that you deposit the cash. Right. And same with my annuities. The minute that that's in there, I'm making 4%. And it's tax deferred. Mm-hmm. Until you wind it up, so four percent tax deferred. I mean, it's worth a lot more than four percent taxable. So, the for the annuities are—is that getting reinvested into
0: more annuities, or are you getting a check?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I am reinvesting those. Those are dude, those are awesome. Uh, I don't know, everyone everyone dogs me for those things. I love them. It's it's my rock, yeah. and they get reinvested. It's tax deferred. I don't even have to report them for taxes. And at some point, way down the road you know, when I'm retired, I'll turn those into income streams and that'll be it. I'll pay tax on it at that point. And probably what what kind of, what kind of tax would you have to pay for when you start withdrawing it? So you would pay tax on the gain. It would be ordinary income, but it would only be on the amount that you distribute. So let's say these balloon into a $10 million policies Mm -hmm. and I can turn that $10 million into an income stream, but maybe instead of taking 500,000 a year, I just take 50,000. Mm-hmm. So you would pay of that 50,000, they would say okay, X is principal, X is part of the gain, maybe it's 50-50 at that point. So you would pay income tax on the gain part. But if you're only taking 50,000 a year and half of that is principal, half of that's gain, you're pay- you're paying tax on 25%. So there's a lot of strategies that you can deploy mm-hmm. to make the distributions very tax efficient how and they've grown tax free for however many years if I wait till retirement they've grown tax free for 30 years which is incredible
0: yeah that definitely makes sense and I guess you know the, the fear that people have is that income tax will increase um, by then but at the same time it's, no, it's never going to go more than 50% you know so it's kind of it's <laughs> capped right
1: and it's a whole lot of money to pay yeah. through, but I mean it's yeah, a lot that's, but that's, yeah the Chris. a lot of smart people say pay the tax now pay it now while you know what it is because yeah. it's, it's only going up a, it's probably only going up. It's probably not going down. But. I mean
0: probably what I would I would do is before then uh each end of the year, I would just see what where my tax bracket is and I would withdraw up to that limit where before it, it bumps up again. And mm-hmm. that way you can start taking some money out at like a at a at a low income bracket if assuming that you're not at a high income bracket and then investing that into yeah. something
1: else. I like it. So is there anything else that we missed on That you think would be useful for the listeners in terms of living, all how we've invested to generate passive income that you know allows us, affords us to live our lifestyle, and hopefully uh, you know grow our assets at the same time, so that we can live off the passive income, but also turn around in a few years and see that our wealth has grown, uh, you know, on a on a net level passively. I mean, first, I think uh, this is there needs to be a term for this because.
0: There's very few people doing this. I mean, I, there's the fire community, which is just you know, like if they hit fire, they hit financial dependence. They're just withdrawing money, and the money's just going down. Or you have people who are actively investing and just just growing their money. I I don't know if there's anyone out there who's enjoying life now. Like, and I can honestly say that both of us are enjoying our lives more now while traveling and living cheaper than we would otherwise live back in the U.S. But we're spending less money, and we're taking that extra money and reinvesting to grow our wealth. I don't know what the the term is. Maybe we should invent one. Maybe it's you know living like a boss. <laughs> but this is what I think people should strive for. You know why why live below your means in the U.S. in you know for you know in a you know it, like literally in a trailer park or in even in a tiny home or in a van just to be able to you know and have extra money to invest while living in the US but for the next, what, 40 years to then be able to go to, you know, Prague or to go to Europe and enjoy your retirement. When you can start doing that now for literally the same or less money than you would, you know, clipping coupons and eating rice and beans back in the US, I can I can go out and have steaks, you know, every night here in, in, mm. in Eastern Europe and I'm still growing
1: my money. Yeah. And if you're growing your money is a good feeling, getting by... If you're if you're, if it's a wash, if you're bringing in and spending everything that comes in each month, you're paycheck to paycheck. That's the same as being paycheck to paycheck. That's not cool. Yeah, growing your wealth is cool. Saving and seeing your wealth to grow and appreciate over time, even if you're working hard, that's a good feeling. That's what so many people in the world strive for. So why not make your investing and lifestyle philosophy based on that as well, right? Yeah. I think you call it lifestyle investing or um, you know another cool term that I kind of came up with. I need to register the domain before this gets published. Instead of venture capital, adventure capital. Ooh, right. Where like you make all these investments that a support your lifestyle, but b give you a sense of adventure. So like for instance, Black Ops in in down in mm-hmm. in uh, Australia that I'm invested in. How cool is that investment? Not only is it a sick business, but I get to go down there once a year and hang out at the brewery and drink. Beer from my business, and see the product marketed everywhere. Or even go to, um, you know, the the property investments I have in Hong Kong. A couple times a year, I get to go hang out with Kevin Shea, talk about the business, go out to great dinners, go out to some parties. You know, that's a bit of an adventure. But there's so much more that you could do with that. Investing in in interesting places that you like to visit, uh, and maybe give you a sense of adventure or a, a really cool trip a few times a year. I think that's also part of the the iLab the I philosophy
0: I can see that on on your business card Sam marks Adventure
1: capitalist <laughs> wait isn't there a book called that I don't know adventure huh I, I think there's a book I there, think I've read it it's really good
0: I don't know there's a guy named Nomad capitalist but I don't I don't think he's uh, enjoying life as much as we are
1: yeah no there's a there's a really good book about a guy a famous investor who rented a, or bought a Mercedes had the whole frame redone and drove it across 100 countries and made investments in like half of them. I think it's called a venture capitalist. Well, I'll, you know I'll leave a link to it in the show. It's a fantastic I, I, book. I've
0: heard of that book and I think it's it's super cool. Yeah. But so. I mean I guess to, to summarize like what we had talked about today, it's whatever this like lifestyle investing is or or adventure um, Venturing is basically, venture. yeah, like basically what we've done is we found the ultimate hack where we can enjoy life now. We can basically live a semi-retired life today and enjoy the crap out of life while not touching our, based, our base net worth. So never having it go down, only having it go up. And we're taking advantage of that by location arbitrage of low cost of living uh, all the tax breaks that we get from, you know, like foreign earned income, uh, and not being physically in the US, you know, having, being able to take advantage of like just like summer, you know, summers, uh, in Europe and winters in Thailand. So it's never, it's never cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I mean, I guess the, the formula is, you know, first is to cut your expenses down as low as possible. So for, for you, you, you know, you're doing that by, you know, sc- cutting down your fixed expenses back home in the US. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that by not having a home base at all. So I'm literally only spending money wherever I am and because I like I enjoy being in cheaper places like in Thailand or in East Europe, my you know fixed expenses per month is about 1500 bucks. Um and then we have enough money coming in through fixed fixed income where we could just not work. Uh, and we can enjoy life or if an emergency comes, emergency comes up or something comes up, we just feel like we, we don't want to work. We want to hibernate for five months or we get sick or something. We have enough fixing coming in. But because we have that comfort, we can do things that we enjoy doing and still earn money. And then we invest that money to keep growing You know, our net worth and having that number go up instead of going down.
1: Yeah, I think that's very well summarized. And I'll give a little bit of uh, an exciting conclusion to this episode. So for all the investors out there that are interested, I just took a look at all of my investments, a bunch of them that already reviewed on this episode. Mm -hmm. So of all of those, Johnny, let's say uh, it's 35 that I've got remarked here. How many of those do you think are for accredited investors only? And how many do you think are for non-accredited investors out of 35.
0: I think most people would assume that 30 out of 35 are accredited only.
1: So 29 out of the 35 are for non-accredited investors. So
0: only six are accredited.
1: Are for accredited.
0: Wow. So that's incredible because a lot
1: of people feel like they're left out from so many great investment opportunities. But there you go. Almost 90% of my investments are are available for non-accredited investors. That's so you awesome. can pretty much mimic, mimic my portfolio if you wanted to at any wealth level, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. And, and if
0: you guys want to know kind of more about what specifically we're invested in, just take a listen to any of our quarterly episodes. Uh, I think our last one was uh, ilab119. Uh, that's our the, our Q1 2019 review. Uh, if you want to know more about any of the specific investments that, that we've talked about, just go through the archives of invest like a boss, because you know, we've bas- basically our strategy is we hear something cool. We get one of the, the founders, maybe even the CEO, uh, or someone who knows a lot about that topic onto the show. So we can ask them all the questions that we have as kind of, you know, as investors or potential investors, uh, and then if it's a good investment, we personally invest in it. And if it's not, then we don't.
1: Well, Johnny, I think we'll do our next quarterly update, maybe in Lithuania over a couple beers. So we'll have to save some material for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's going to be fun. So enjoy uh, Belarus. I think you'll enjoy it. I hope you
1: learn some, uh, some Russian while you're out there because it'll probably help. <laughs> I'll do my best, buddy. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing uh, good, a good part of the ex-USSR. Uh, I think Lithuania was also part of that. I need to do some research, learn my history before I <laughs> come up with factoids on this podcast. Yeah, definitely. But uh, I want to give a big shout out to everyone who's,
0: who's left reviews uh, of the Invest in Boss podcast this last month or two. I was actually shocked how many, how many new reviews we've gotten in just the last month. I think we've had 15 new reviews since our last episode. That's insane.
1: Yeah, dude, you know what? I'm really loving what is happening to Invest Like a Boss right now. I don't know what's happened. I, I don't know how it happened, but we're getting people writing us in every single day from different parts of the world that we they hear us talking about, say Lithuania, and all of a sudden I'm introduced to three or four people in Lithuania that want to go out and do things, and it's happening everywhere in the world. I almost feel like Invest Like a Boss is becoming kind of like the old like old school fraternity. You know the movie Old School? Mm-hmm. It's almost like becoming this fraternity where everyone around the world just wants to meet up and go out and talk about investing and have a couple beers and kind of get away. It's just it's becoming a lot of fun and it's paying dividends in network and meeting awesome people from tampa to lithuania to singapore i mean every single place i've gone recently i've met great listeners and had awesome conversations and nights out so very very appreciative for that and let's make sure we keep that going yeah definitely
0: and i would we would love to meet all of you in person out in vegas it's going to be the end of september if you are interested please go to invest and join our boss lounge uh, or just on facebook search boss lounge and uh, when you're there, just RSVP to the Facebook event. And that way we can include you kind of in the planning of where it's going to be. Um, and by having more people that just even click interested or, or attending, you can help us get sponsors on board to hopefully try to lower the cost a little bit of the event because Vegas isn't that cheap. But we would love to meet you out there. Uh, make sure you RSVP for that event. And also, if you haven't yet, please leave a review of the podcast. We don't have time to read everyone's, but you know, thanks to Toverick, to Stacy, to Benny, to CW, Bastar, Bedtime, Ben, RZ, Kfern, Yuliart, T. Wood, Gerald, Fran, J. Harp, and Jacob for leaving reviews. <laughs> this has been amazing. So th- thanks so much uh, for telling your friends about the show, for spreading the word, and... Hopefully, we'll see you out in Vegas and maybe out in uh, Lithuania if you guys are out here.
1: I'll be here. Just come knocking right in the old town, right next to the old city par. All right. Come knock on my door. (laughs) And thank you to Johnny FD for all that you do, buddy. Oh, appreciate you, buddy. Let's Let's have a beer soon. See you guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Like Boss Podcast. Join our mailing list at bestlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If
1: you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.